cost of living prices coming through, rises in inflation, rises in interest rates related to that. The ESG agenda, perhaps dominated at the moment by carbon and climate change, but um, again, going back to geopolitics, I'm sure that some of the um, social and governance matters are going to come through to the fore now, as well as the environmental side. You've also got other direct pieces which have been talked about. Cyber risk uh, is one that you know I know our banking clients are looking at, and indeed I know our banking clients have spoken with us to make sure that Grant Thornton, as an institution, is also conscious of the increased cyber risk that we face. I think we will see that those institutions who are able to use data to understand what the implications of future possible events will be will be the ones that come out on top. Hello and welcome to our new episode of Risk and Regulation Unraveled, our Grant Thornton's Financial Services podcast. I'm Irina Velkova, your regular host, and I bring to you conversations about the dynamic world of risk and regulation. We help our financial services clients understand new regulatory developments, upcoming changes, and how to stay ahead of the regulatory curve by inviting renowned experts to share their insights. Today's episode is part of a short series in which we talk about what the year ahead will bring to the key sectors in financial services. To discuss the main themes that we think are going to dominate the banking sector this year, I have invited Paul Garbutt, who is the head of banking at Grant Thornton and leads the practice. Paul spent a number of years in investment banking, followed by a career in advising large international and systematic banks, regulators and governments on a variety of prudential matters. Welcome to the podcast, Paul. Great to have you. Thank you, Irina. Hello. I must say, when we planned this series, we never expected quite that we will have to have these conversations in the context of external events as they are unraveling today. We are recording this episode on day nine since Russia invaded Ukraine. And it is likely that by the time we publish this particular episode, we would have observed a number of developments as a result of the events doubt have further impacted the market. Nevertheless, the conversation today is an attempt to outline the key themes that we think will dominate global banking. As it seems much like the pandemic, what is happening today is likely to have long lasting effects and and banks will have to deal with the aftermath of it for quite some time. All that said, Paul, if you were to pick up, say, a few topics um, from where we stand today, which which we think are key for the banking sector, what these would be? So, as you alluded to, Irina, I think the um, the first thing to say is it'll be geopolitical risk. I think the Russian invasion of Ukraine um, is dominating our news, and it's it's it'll be. It, I know it's dominating the agendas at the moment for all of our um, banking clients. Um, so, I that I'll call out as being the the single dominant theme right now. Um, but of course, there's other issues there which we. Um, would have spoken of uh, some weeks ago. So you've still got, and it's conflated a bit with some of the geopolitical risk, um, cost of living um, crisis coming through, rises in inflation, rises in interest rates related to that. Uh, The ESG agenda, um, perhaps dominated at the moment by carbon and climate change, but Um, Again, going back to geopolitics, I'm sure that some of the um, social and governance matters are going to come through to the fore now, as well as the environmental side. Um, You've got the war for talent, um, which is as acute 
in banking and the advisors to the banks as it is in any other part of the of the um, commercial world. Uh, and then the last thing is still the impact of technology and in particular uh, how banks retain ownership of their customers and the customer journeys and the value chain of what they're providing to to customers. That's a huge strategic question that has been rumbling for a number of years and I think is just getting louder and louder as we go along. So there's there's a mass of issues to deal with. Um, some of them are interconnected, others just seem to stand alone at the moment on uh, as almost tactical things that have to be addressed, but they're all huge. Thanks, Bo. Yeah, and it sounds is going to be yet another challenging year ahead from, from what we hear. As much as we were hoping that as we are kind of coming off the pandemic, this is going to be for a better one, but clearly not the case. It is inevitable from what you're saying that current events and sanctions in particular are going to have direct effect on, on Western world and, and banks in the Western world as well. And as you said, um, this coupled with the cost of living it is going to make for a very difficult year. So where where do you see are the major risks um, and what are the implications for, for the entire banking sector from what we see today? So, I mean, first and foremost, you've got some obvious implications for the banking sector arising from um, sanctioning of, of Russian entities and Russian individuals. So. Uh, we read in the political sphere around um, a wish to enforce existing rules um, more strongly. Uh, and I think we can see as well that um, anything, anything, anybody linked with the um, regime in Russia currently is going to um, be subject to particular attention. So there's immediate first order effects we know that uh, are going on in the banking sector looking at compliance with um, not only the letter of existing um, sanctions regimes, but also the increasingly the spirit and making sure that you're dealing with the right people. Um, and Belarus, I, actually, from what we've seen Belarus, in the last couple of days. Yeah. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Russia and Belarus. And um, so there's, there's a series of first order actions going on there. I think I think where this takes you to, though, is <clears throat> trying to figure out what some of the later impacts will be. And the, the reality is none of us at this point in time are going to be able to foresee events in a sort of laid out logical way of this is where things will be over the coming months. So first and foremost, business leaders, banking leaders um, will need information to understand things and will need to look at scenarios and stress testing as a as a way of understanding what events could unfold and how they might impact their particular business as well. Um, so that we see as uh, manifesting in credit losses potentially coming through and how are you doing stress testing on that? Um, there will be a lot of um, Credit losses already were, were sort of one of our top priorities we identified for 2022 when we were thinking of the cost of living crisis and the impact that increased costs would have on consumers and businesses and their ability to repay lending to banks. You've now got, I think, a, a much more complex geopolitical dimension overlaid on that in terms of how the geopolitical situation will impact on individual borrowers' abilities to repay, be it either from a simple credit risk perspective or 
actually their ability to liquidate assets and access cash if they have um, either exposure uh, directly to to Russia and Belarus or operationally through Russia and Belarus and that that um, we might see a number of second and third order impacts coming through on institutions now which will make it really difficult for, for bank leadership to understand what the uh, implications of the geopolitical situation would be. Um, <clears throat> you've also got other direct pieces which have been talked about. Cyber risk uh, is one that you know I know our banking clients are looking at and indeed I know our banking clients have spoken with us to make sure that Grant Thornton as an institution is also conscious of the increased cyber risk that we face. So um, there will be more attention, I think, in the short term on, on cyber risk and making sure that proper defences are in, are in place. Um, and then there, I think there's, there's everything to do with reporting and monitoring and data, data, data. I think is going to be is going to be the big thing and you know I think we will see that those institutions who are able to use data to understand what the implications of future events are going to future possible events will be will be the ones that come out on top uh, in the in the rest of this year and and through 2023. So that's a very long and rambling answer but I hope it gives you some flavour of where we see the impacts coming through on the industry just now. Indeed, and, and I must say, I was speaking to one of our uh, cyber partners last week after um, a tech event I was attending, I was speaking at, and we're talking about cyber considerations, and he was saying that we are already seeing kind of a cyber war, frankly, and lots of organisations have actually approached us exactly in order to, to make sure that they've got the appropriate defence in place. And you mentioned something which is probably quite right, as in nobody could predict indeed where we're going to be in a few months' time. It sounds it's going to be quite uncertain times again, yet again, for the industry and a lot for organisations to deal with. So what do you think banks need to brace for and, and what is their first port of call to address this risk? So you already mentioned information and data as a potential solution, but what, what, what beyond this, if you like? I think so. I, I think in terms of direct impact on the banking sector, the risk of credit losses um, will be the one that I think people need to to look at um, and to understand. And th and that's where data and the ability to stress test and model will will come to the fore. Um, I think you've also got the the obvious um, financial crime agenda as well that people need to to make sure that they've got full understanding of who their clients are. Um, so not only questions of some of the more obvious stuff around ultimate beneficial ownership, which we've had it kicking around for years, but also understanding how more through um, an ESG um, who who it is you're dealing with and what the business models are of the clients that you're dealing with and and whether those business models will be impacted by geopolitical risk uh, in the coming uh, weeks and years. Um, so I think those are those are probably the areas you get to, and again, that takes you inevitably back to to data and the ability to wrangle your data in a in an effective way for decision making. Um, I think too, there's a number of unknowns out there around what further interventions governments might make. Even it, it could be you know obvious questions around sanctions from from Western governments, but also as some of these geopolitical events play through and we start to see the impact that they have on individual organizations 
we've just come from a period with COVID of massive uh, governmental support to certain sectors. We might yet see more of that to come through, and that's that's a big, as it were, known unknown at the moment as to what further action government might take um, in this country and and others. Uh, in support of particular industry sectors, and that plays back into the banks in a in a way that is 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 there, but is as yet unclear. Uh, and again, I think takes us to this this point that geopolitical risk is currently the single dominant uh, dominant feature. Um, I think I'd I'd emphasise too, though, that you know all of this is going on against what was already coming into this year billed as a, as a cost of living crisis. Um, so that there is also a lot of uncertainty then around, you know, how individual borrowers are going to act in the coming weeks. Uh, and for the banks themselves, perhaps, you know, one shouldn't duck this. You've also got the war on talent and, uh, you know, who are you actually going to have access to in order to be able to deal with some of these issues? So you talk of, you know, we talk of cyber. Well, cyber was already a market where there was an acute shortage of talent. Um, and you kind of think, well, some of these aspects are just going to be amplified now as you um, as you go through the coming year, because there's just going to be more acute pressure. And where the pressure is going to come from is going to keep moving. So agility is going to be a really tough thing to manage, I think, coming up in the, in the rest of this year and, and trying to stay, if not ahead of the curve, at least get yourself in a position where you can respond quickly as as uncertain events unfold. That's going to be the challenge, I think, through this year. Interesting. Lots of lots to unpick from what you already said. Um, I guess one observation uh, that kind of comes to mind when, when you spoke is whilst we had two years in which uh, CEOs and chairman of organizations had to suddenly become much more human and relate to people and emphasize, if you like, the soft elements of running an organization. We are now suddenly going very rapidly to a position where these people have to assume really strong leadership positions, knowing uh, how to direct the organization and, and, and where to head. How prepared do you think is the banking sector to take on that challenge in terms of leadership? Actually, I think in some ways um, the pandemic uh, has made us all uh, into much more human um, interaction when, we, when we're in the workplace. And my personal opinion is that the human level response is what is called for at this point. Some things are right, some things are wrong. And I don't, I personally don't think that there is anything wrong in the, or I would hope the banking industry also would respond to geopolitical events with the same kind of mindset. Some things are right, some things are wrong. And strong leadership, I think, will accept that and call it out. Uh, and I think people in these organisations and also their customers are going to expect clear signalling um, from bank leadership on where they stand on certain issues. Um, so actually, I think, and, and this will tie back, I suppose, classically into what would be called the ESG agenda. But actually, I think those points of ESG, which have been building for a number of years 
in financial services and banking are really going to come to the fore and, and leadership is, in banks is going to have to manage very carefully what its position is on ESG and also manage very carefully um, how it is perceived on these on these questions because so communication I think is going to be absolutely vital although I think if there is anything to good good to come out of the pandemic one one aspect in the in the commercial world will be that ability of organizations to react on a more human level now to to events that's no positive and the events as they stand today probably. no no, probably. no. <laughs> <laughs> um you mentioned ESG quite a few times and and definitely with probably the most difficult and challenging angle which is exactly where the organization stands in that particular um state of affairs but there is another angle to ESG which is regulator and market pressure and obviously all organizations are at various spectrums in terms of how advanced they are with regards to implementing various requirements where do you see the banking sector particularly on the ESG agenda this year I know that obviously a lot of them would have to have already introduced requirements given the 2019 um, requirements if you like to to disclose um on physical risks uh, and then actually non-financial risk related to to climate change so uh, they've already made steps but how advanced do you think they are going to be this year given everything that is going on i think i think one of the challenges this year is is to retain focus actually because there is so much going on and so many things that need to be looked at simultaneously so there is, again, it comes back to data, there is a big data exercise to do on environmental analysis and environmental disclosure. Uh, I think social and governance matters are going to be pushed to the fore as well. <coughs> Excuse me, I think, um, I think the good news is most banks have now got um, the correct governance in place. Uh, the challenge is going to be whether they can um, deal with so many moving parts at once. That's going to be problematic. And as you said, a lot of uncertainty, so they will have to be very agile, again, to, to your previous point. And where do we stand on the on the war for talent? Uh, you, you made a point that is very critical as well, and it is, and we see it in our own business as well as to how important and at the same time difficult has been to actually recruit um, well in the last in the last few years in general but that's certainly going to probably just take another spin even um, with, with events now probably and, and refocusing um, how how are banks tackling that um, talent shortage I think banks are struggling the same as as every other commercial sector is on that one. Um, we've observed uh, a marked increase in turnover in positions around the, the banks with whom we work. Um, <clears throat> people skilled in risk management, um, in uh, in technology and data science are in huge demand right now. Um, so yes, we see the inevitable increase in in wages and salaries coming through, but I think I may think increasingly it's around where people feel they belong and are comfortable to be um, to be working. So I think again it will come back to basic tenets of leadership and 
people will work willingly for those banks that show strong leadership at this time. Uh, so those banks that do that, I think, will commercially win out right now in the in the next couple of years. Beyond all these developments, and if we were to look slightly more ahead, probably, and other items that are on the agenda of banks, which are perhaps slightly longer term, beyond what they need to tackle now, where do you see they are going to spend some time and effort and resource? Um, you mentioned customers and uh, value chains and, and technology earlier. This all sounds as quite quite the long or at least the mid-term issues banks have to deal with. Yeah, so I think I, I think there is a <clears throat> general acceptance across the banking industry that the the focus needs to be on how you interact with your customer that you need to be perceived by your customer base as a as a place that you go to for easy access to all aspects of your financial well-being we see that language increasingly being used within our banking clients to talk about life lifestyle life stages for customers on the retail side and for different types of activity that the corporate sector wants to go through. So as you, you get away from a traditional product-based view of banking and much more into a relationship, uh, customer relationship perspective, um, <clears throat> banks were already on that journey. Um, and I think what you see with a number of fintechs is disruptors trying to come in and grab the customer relationships from the from the traditional balance sheet bank. So most banks now are moving away from a pure balance sheet driven value proposition to one that is much more about the relationship the customer has with the institution. That's a theme that is definitely going to continue in the coming years. Um, and the you look increasingly also at the way that banks are behaving that the amount of profit that is being generated coming from relationship is much higher and, and there's less emphasis now on um, the uh, traditional balance sheet net interest margin type type measure so we would expect that trend will continue which takes you really to a race again around technology and the ability to automate your customer journeys um, but also make them in a in a far more um, nuanced way than we've seen in the past. So not just taking your traditional product offerings and sticking them on a on a app, but actually becoming a one stop uh, relationship based uh, provider to your customers. Uh, so that's a long journey, many years to come, but. Um, takes us back, I think, to a theme we've seen in previous years around there will be winners and losers in the long term around who gets value out of their technology. Uh, and money will be wasted on technology that doesn't actually yield results. And there will be some who find ways of generating huge returns from relatively little uh, technology investment. That's because customers are looking for much more bespoke service now and they are seeing their financial well-being and their relationship with the banks as a personal relationships in the last years isn't isn't that the answer though to all these kind of challenges 
and potentially wrong investments in technology as well. Uh, yes, it is. I mean, in the <clears throat> so we the most obvious advances have been in the retail relationships. We we've seen that coming through, particularly with with some of the tech-based newer banks that have come into the market in the last five or ten years. That way of interacting with the bank is coming across now into the the um, commercial and the large corporate space because people are used to dealing with a bank in a certain way in their everyday life. They expect to be able to do much the same in their um, professional life dealing with the bank as well. Um, so, yes, I think it, it becomes very much around the journey that you're able to offer customers, but not the traditional product journey. It becomes much more about that total relationship uh, and how how the customer feels about mm. the institution, um, which again takes me to the question of strong and compassionate leadership, I think is going to be absolutely important because these things all come together to, um, to determine who customers of whatever type and stage they're at in their life, you know, it, it comes to who customers want to deal with. Uh, and there is there is a lot of choice out there and it's it's easier for people to move around um, between different banks, although obviously the statistics suggest that that's not something people yet to do very much. Yeah, although from what we've seen, retail banking, particularly in, in the last couple of years, is an extraordinary shift towards sustainable banks, for example. Mm -hmm. It's been an incredible journey. And I think uh, to, to your point, to the leadership and to the overall um, positioning of those organizations and those banks that is probably going to attract even more customers um, depending on where they stand and what positions they take. Finally, last question and mainly because I quite like this question but I also think it provides for really great insights to, to our listeners. If you were the CEO of a say large global bank today, what would you be most focused on uh, as a priority? I think in today's <clears throat> environment, um, the biggest matter is reputation. Um, now, traditionally, I would have said reputation often arises because of the way that you interact with your customers in the conversation we've just had there about um, how customers perceive you from a from a service and an ease of doing business with perspective. But I think right now, um, in in the current world environment, I think too, it's around being being a strong, compassionate leader um, and getting your team around you within the bank aligned with the values that you espouse and the way that you do business and making sure that your customer base also understands uh, the values and the way that the organization does business and getting your customers aligned as well with that, with that same reputation for a particular institution. Reputation right now, I think, is absolutely key. Uh, and this is definitely the time when I think all leaders need to be seen to be, not, not just seen to be doing the right thing, but to be doing the right thing and for people to really feel it. People know when you fake it. Thank you, Paul. Fantastic note to finish <coughs> on. Thank you very much for this conversation. It's been really insightful and I absolutely enjoyed talking to you. Let's hope for some positive developments very soon and, and indeed a slightly easier year ahead of what maybe we are just projecting with this conversation. As usual, I would also like to thank our listeners for tuning in. I hope you all found the conversation useful. 
To leave you with some more regulatory food for thought, we have recently published our UK Regulatory Handbook 2022, your one-stop shop for all key regulatory developments in the year ahead. You can also sign up to the Financial Services Regulatory Newsletter to receive weekly updates and invites into your inbox. To stay up to date with upcoming episodes, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Amazon Music. We'll be back with our next episode very shortly. Thank you very much for tuning in again and goodbye.